Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Rocky Peak, and if this is your very first time. Uh, special welcome to you. We're going to be going into our time of teaching right now. We do this every week about this time, and so inside your program is a message note sheet. I encourage you to take that out. Uh, this will help you follow along. We're just excited about what God's doing here uh, at, at our church and, and how every week he's bringing uh, newcomers here to join us in this journey that we're on. And so if you're one of those, a special welcome to you. But uh, if you guys are all set, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited about what you're doing in our lives, uh, what you're doing in our church. And most of all, we're excited about you and who you are and your love for us and your plan for this, this world and how we can be a part of it. And so we, we pray today that you would come and you'd be our true king, you would be our true Lord, that you would lead us well, you'd shepherd us, you'd father us, you'd, you'd be a mentor, a leader to us as you teach us how to follow you. Uh, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing a series that we've been in now for the last two or three weeks uh, called The Assignment, uh, Unleashing the Movement. And for those of you who are new, uh, not only do I want to welcome you, but I also want to just kind of take a minute or two and bring you up to speed where we're at in this series. Uh, this series, The Assignment, really flows out of some teaching of Jesus. It's uh, the last words he says before he leaves planet Earth. He gathers his followers together. He's turning the movement over to them. And he says, here's your assignment. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to share the message of what I, I've taught you. When people are ready to, to come to faith in me, ready to put their trust in me, ready to follow me, I want you to baptize them. It's kind of the first step into the, the movement of Jesus. And then, and then I want you to teach him how to obey, how, how to follow everything that I've taught you, how to live this new life, how this kingdom of God that I, I've come to teach you. And, and so this is the assignment he gives us as a church. It's the assignment that we're focusing on. And so in this, this series, we're asking the question, what does it look like for us as a church, as, as Christ followers in our own life, to really join Jesus in his mission, which as he said in Luke 19, is to seek and to save the lost. And so that's kind of the first part of this series. Uh, but there's a second part of this series, and this is a part we'll actually be transitioning into next weekend. And this is a specific assignment we believe God is giving us as a church that as we're growing or running out of space, it's, it's a look at, kind of at this assignment to both enlarge and refresh our campus so we have room for the people God is bringing and, and the people that he's going to use us to bring as we join him in more intentional ways of seeking and saving the lost. But this week, we're going to be continuing on this first part. Uh, what does it look like to, uh, specifically a topic today, is to build uh, authentic relationships with people who are far from God for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of helping them uh, come to Christ. And so we're going to be looking at a couple passages of Scripture right at the top. Uh, the first one is in Luke chapter 15. So I'd like you to open your Bibles, your iPads, your phones, whatever you have. There's a section on your note sheet called Loving the Lost, Three Short Stories. And, and so if you would turn to Luke chapter 15. Now, this is a very famous passage of Scripture, this whole chapter. Uh, let, let me set the stage. It's fairly uh, far into the, the ministry teaching of Jesus. And since day one, uh, Jesus has had major opposition uh, especially from the, the religious establishment, the spiritual elite of, of the nation. And there's all kinds of things they don't like about Jesus. But one of the things that they don't like the most is the way Jesus relates to people who are far from God. Uh, uh, it, the, the way that they saw it, that they, they're kind of their operating paradigm uh, as, as kind of religious leaders was, if you want to be close to God, you need to stay far away from people who aren't close to God. 
Does that make sense? This was kind of the thing. Like, if you want to get closer to God, you need to stay away from people who aren't close to God. And so this just threw them because Jesus was always hanging out with people who are far from God. And it just was very confusing to them and very irritating to them. It was kind of breaking all the, the rules, kind of the spiritual rules of their culture. And so this is one of those situations. And so we're, we're diving in at the beginning of Luke chapter 15. And so we'll start at verse 1. And it says, uh, now the tax collectors and the, quote, sinners... We're all gathering around to hear him. And so, so it's just kind of another day in the life of Jesus. He's teaching, and, and tax gatherers and sinners are, are part of the crowd. Uh, these are people that are, that are, are drawn to him, uh, to his teaching. Now, uh, tax gatherers, we, we talked to them, we talked about them a couple weeks ago in the story of Zacchaeus. Just kind of real briefly, uh, tax collectors by definition were people far from God. They, they were people that have basically compromised uh, kind of sold their soul for the sake of money. They, they, had, they had collaborated with the foreign invaders, the Romans and, and the Romans' underlings, to collect taxes. Uh, by definition, they were, they were hanging out with Gentiles all the time because of their business, and, and that made them a spiritual kind of uh, uh, rejects from their own uh, culture. Uh, they weren't part of the synagogue and all that. Uh, and then on top of that, they were often ripped off their own people or, or ripped off people kind of collecting more taxes than, than they needed. And so for all these reasons, universally despised in, in that culture to be a tax collector was unequal of being uh, like a criminal, like a common thief or, or maybe a prostitute. It was kind of like, kind of that was the sort of the, le- the moral level that you, you resided at. And so, so that's tax collectors. Second category is quote sinners. This was a broad category in their, in their culture. Uh, it took in not only what we would think of like a blatant, obvious sin, like tax collectors, like a prostitute, like that, but it, it takes in anyone who's really not following kind of the Jewish law. You're not going to synagogue. You're not eating the right things. You're not eating kosher. You're kind of, you're, you're out the, and it was a broad category to take anyone who's not really following God's law. And so, so Jesus is teaching. These kind of people are drawn to him. They're fascinated by him. And so, uh, but the uh, spiritual uh, elite of the day, the religious establishment, verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they muttered. They weren't happy with this. And they said, this man welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. And remember, in the ancient world, to have table fellowship is what it was called. To have table fellowship with someone, to sit down and share a meal, was much more than just hanging out and sharing a meal. It was a sign of acceptance, friendship, uh, love, relationship. And so, so they are just kind of uh, really upset because it's blowing their paradigm. You're a man who claims to be from God. You're a man who claims to be a prophet or son of God or whatever you claim to be. And, and so, but you are, you're hanging out with people who are far from God. And so you're, you're kind of blowing our minds here. And, and it's really irritating us. And they're, they're muttering about this. You know? So they just don't get this. And so what's going to happen is Jesus is going to tell three short stories, as he often does. We call them parables where he just helps them to understand how God feels about lost people. And the first one's kind of a famous story. If you grew up in church or Sunday school, you, you probably remember it. But it's a very common story. Like what Jesus would do when he would tell these short stories, he typically wouldn't make up some weird story to make a point. He would just tell a story from everyday life that would be a very common story, but then he would put a twist on it and kind of apply it in a new way. And so his first story is a story about a shepherd. Now, shepherds in that day tended to be very poor, uh, very poor people. It was kind of the bottom uh, rung of the social uh, kind of ne- network. And, and so they're very poor people. They would usually not be watching their own sheep. If you, if you own the sheep, you'd probably hire a shepherd. So they, they would usually be watching someone else's sheep. A typical flock might be 100, 200 uh, 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 sheep. 
you would often go out with other shepherds just for safety. There's safety in numbers, so you take your flocks out together. And so he's just going to tell a very normal story from, from everyday life. But what's, what's unusual is the punchline. The punchline at the end of the story is what's going to be uh, the, the part that's going to take him by surprise. So remember, the whole reason he's telling these stories is to help these spiritual leaders understand why he, as a godly man, is hanging out with ungodly people. And so he says, uh, uh, once upon a time, there was a man, and he was a shepherd. And, and so he takes his sheep out that day, and at some point in the day, he figures out that one of his sheep is missing. Now, now this for him would be a financial crisis. Okay? Like, like, you know for you how it is when you lose something valuable, right? Like, like I sort of have a reputation, well-deserved, for being a kind of absent-minded professor, right? So... <laughs> Uh, I am always losing things, losing keys, losing wallets, uh, and, and so my wife has tried to cure me for your years, unsuccessfully. I've resisted all treatment, and, uh, and, and so uh, imagine that you're losing, you know, how you feel when you lose something really valuable to you. Now, now multiply that by 10, because uh, this man probably can't afford a sheep. This is like his uh, financial disaster. He is in charge of the sheep. If he doesn't bring them in, he's going to have to pay for them himself. He has to hand this money. And so he's kind of freaking out. So he, he feels about this, about like I'd feel right now about losing my new um, iPhone 5. All right, so. Um, all right, so. Okay, so, so, so here's the scene. So he, at some point in the day, he realizes that he has lost a sheep. We don't know how, but he realizes, and he is freaking out. And so what he does is he is going to go look for that sheep. His financial future is hanging in the balance. And, and, and so he's going to leave the other 99 behind. Now, we honestly don't know. What, what, did he leave them with the other shepherds? He was with, very likely could have been, but we don't know that. But he leaves the 99, and he goes in search of the one. And you can just kind of imagine this, what this is like. He's just kind of freaking out. He doesn't, we don't know how many hours or how long this is taking, but he's searching here. He's probably retracing his steps. He's going, he's probably calling out for this sheep, you know, bah, bah. You know, uh, he's just kind of, you know, here, sheepy, sheepy. I don't know how you call a sheep. But anyway, he's looking for the sheep. You know, he's just kind of, and he's just dreading that he's going to come around the corner, and there's going to be a sheepskin right? A lion, a bear, maybe someone's stolen the sheep he's never going to see. And you can imagine his relief as he comes around the corner and there is his sheep, uh, maybe stuck up on a ledge or something. But he's so excited, he goes and he gets his sheep. His financial future is saved. He puts the sheep on his shoulders, which is how you'd carry sheep in those days. And, and so uh, you carry him differently today in a truck. But uh, <laughs> anyway, you put it on your shoulder and he's, he's kind of, he brings it home, right? And so he's, now he's really relieved. So, so end of the day, he gets home, he invites all of his buddies over for a beer, not in the text, uh, and uh, they are they're just excited about this, sh- and so he's telling them, and you can just imagine, you know how us guys are, we tell stories, you know, and we try to top each other with our story, so he's just telling what an awesome day he had, how he's freaking out, he lost his sheep, he's giving the blow-by-blow, play-by-play, color commentary on this sheep uh, sto- story, and how he comes around, he sees the sheep, how he's relieved, and, and, get, and everyone gets it. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, Everyone in the crowd gets it. They know sheep. They know shepherds. They know how this works. They, and I understand the economic implications. Very simple story, but they get it. Okay, now here comes the, the punchline. Here comes the punchline. And this is what they never saw coming. And so this is verse 7. And he says, I tell you, I know he's talking to the spiritual leaders who can't figure out why he's hanging out with people far from God. 
I, I tell you <clears throat> that in the same way, in the same way, this man is so happy, he says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. There's going to be a party in heaven uh, over, over one sinner, okay, just like the sheep, over one sinner who repents, who, who truly turns back to God, leaves their life of sin, comes back to God, over one sinner who repents, then over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so the question is, why are you hanging out with people far from God? And the answer is, you don't get it how God feels about lost people. The, the way you think people, God feels about lost people, if someone has rejected God, if someone has sold out their soul, if someone has sold out their family, betrayed their nation, if, people are, if, if a woman is uh, kind of working in the red light district, uh, if this person has ripped off people in his business, what you think is God hates those people. And so what you think is that in order to be on God's side, you need to hate those people and you need to distance but what you don't understand is God is passionate about those people. He feels about those people the same way a shepherd feels about his lost sheep, and he's actively pursuing those people. And he says it's not that those, it's not that, that lost sheep is more valuable than the 99 other people who did. It's not about that. It's just if you lose your keys, you get excited about finding your keys. You don't get excited about finding your wallet you never lost in the first place right? It's like, it's not that the keys are more valuable than the wallet, it's just that you haven't lost the wallet yet, right? And, right? That's for a different day. And so, so, Jesus says, so Jesus says, this is how God feels about lost people. And so, so he says, like, you should be excited. What he's telling you spiritually, you should be excited about this. The kingdom of God has come. Messiah has come. The great shepherd of Israel has come. He's come to bring back lost sheep. And you should be with me. You shouldn't be fighting me. You should be moving. If you want to get close to God, you go where lost people are. You see, that's the whole point of the story. And so then he goes on to tell two more quick stories that I won't go into in detail. About, but there's a story about a woman who loses a tenth of her life savings. And she goes to great extremes to find it. And then he tells the story of the lost son. We call the story the prodigal son, the father who runs to him, right? So three short stories to help them understand this is how God feels about lost people. Okay, uh, second passage, next, next section on your note sheet. We have a case study from the life of Jesus. So let's talk about how this looks and how Jesus models this in his own life. And so there's a section called Loving the Lost, One Case Study. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Now in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is uh, actually going to be modeling this kind of seeking out a lost person in his life. He's going to be, he, he just talked about tax gatherers and sinners. We're going to watch him uh, actually target a lost sheep. We're going to actually watch him live this out in his own life and model this. And so the story is about a man named Levi. Uh, now, now, we know him better by his, uh, his name, Matthew. Uh, he, he's going to become uh, one of, he, he becomes one of the inner circle of Jesus. He becomes one of the 12 apostles. He becomes the man who writes probably the most influential gospel in the history of the life of the church, the gospel of Matthew. But that's not how he starts his story. He starts as a tax gatherer, okay? That's how he starts his story. And so, uh, we pick it up <laughs> in... Uh, Verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector, and of course we know all about them now, by the name of Levi. Uh, he was actually the guy that franchised the jeans originally, 
No, just kidding. Uh, that's why he changed his name to Matthew, because he could never get on a subway without being uh, uh, noticed. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so he's sitting at his tax booth, and he says, follow me. So, so this is kind of a, a way the rabbis w- would say it, uh, that, that what he's really basically, he's, he's inviting uh, Matthew into relationship. He's inviting Matthew to become one of his followers, like a disciple, it's like he'd be the rabbi disciple. Now, this is, this is crazy. In this culture, uh, first of all, rabbis don't typically call people to follow them. You go and apply for the position. Uh, and so to have a rabbi going after a tax collector and recruiting him is just like big time news. Um, but, but on top of that, uh, you know, what we're going to see is that Matthew sure enough follows him. Now, um, th- th- this is a thing, you, you, you think about uh, uh, Matthew, and you, uh, uh, one thing is you read the Gospels, often the Gospel writers will truncate or shorten the message just because of space. Uh, and so uh, we don't really know, but my, but my hunch would be based on other uh, examples from, from the, or the, or the first 12, my, my guess would be that this was not their first time encounter. We, we often read this and, and read it as if it's the first time encounter. My guess would be it's probably not the case. My guess would be they probably shared some meals together. My guess was he probably heard the teaching of Jesus. He knew what Jesus was about. But on this day, Jesus had an assignment. And his assignment was to go after this lost sheep. And so here's Jesus. He's just kind of going straight up to this guy. He says, follow me. And so, so apparently uh, uh, that, that Matthew kind of understands what that means. And he, he's going to leave everything. In fact, it says... He got up and he left, uh, verse 28, Levi got up, he left everything and he followed him. And so remember, this is a man by definition who has left everything to follow money, right? In the past, he left his, his, his family, his country, uh, his God, he sold his soul for the sake of money. Now he's found a greater treasure, right? So he's like the man who finds the greater treasure in the field and sells everything because of, of so its worth. And, and so Matthew uh, has been so moved by who Jesus is, his offer of a new life, he, he sells it all. And, and so uh, it's, it's an amazing story uh, up to this point. Uh, uh, a Jewish rabbi who does the unthinkable recruiting, not only recruits, but he recruits a person far from God, this lost sheep, and this man responds and leaves there. So if the story stopped here, it would be an amazing story. But what I like is, uh, uh, best is what happens next. Because what happens next is Mo, uh, Matthew wants to introduce all his rowdy friends to Jesus. Right? It's like Monday night football. Okay? <laughs> and so he is going to throw a party. And, and we're not talking just a few, you're not, like, not like a potluck. He is throwing a party. He's got the caterers coming in. He's got the wine cellar going. And he sends the invitations out. And he gets all his rowdy friends. Now, if you're a tax gatherer, who do you hang out with? You hang out with other tax gatherers, right? And so he, he invites all of his buddies. Like, you've got to, you just almost imagine the conversation. You've got to meet this guy. I know it's kind of weird, but he's just different. You just, you've got to meet him. Look, 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 I'll tell you what. I'm, I'll have food. There'll be food there. There'll be food there. We'll have the roast beef, no ham, but we have the roast beef. Uh, so one, that's the one rule we still follow. Uh, we've got the roast beef. We've got the chicken, whatever. We, we've got plenty of wine. It'll be a party, and all your buddies will be there, so you, we'll outnumber them. We'll outnumber them, so just come on in, and so, so that's what he does, and so then he invites Jesus. Hey, Jesus, would you come to my house and meet some of my buddies? I'm throwing a party for all of my, my buddies. And Jesus is all over this. Like, that's awesome. That's great. Let's go have a party. And so, 
uh, in verse 29, so Levi, he holds a great banquet for Jesus at his house, a great banquet, it's a big party, and a large crowd of tax collectors. So here's all the people far from God. It's like this guy has been hanging out at the bar his whole life. He gets the whole bar to come to his house, and Jesus is going to go to this, meet his barmates. And so, anyway, and so, so a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Again, table fellowship. Okay, so, so then the spiritual police show up. Uh, the Pharisees, there, they got the dark hats. Uh, the Pharisees... And the teachers of the law who belong to their sect, and, and they complain to his disciples. And so they show up to find out, hey, what's going on here? They show up at this party, and, and they don't really go to Jesus. Uh, they probably learned it's probably not the smartest. And so they're going to go to his followers, right? And they're going to ask him, hey, what's up? What's going on? And so I want you to catch what they say. They say to his followers, why do, what's the next word? You, let's say it again. Why do what? You, catch that. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So catch this. Jesus is unleashing a movement. Not only is he breaking all the rules, here's the rule. If you follow me, we break the rules. Are you with me? Uh, If you follow me, I hang out with people far from God. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with me. Okay, let's go break some rules. You see what's going on here? Jesus is modeling countercultural behavior. Jesus is not just eating with sinners himself. He is leading his troops in to meet with the sinners. And so the religious leaders go, what's up? Remember, it doesn't fit their paradigm. How does this work? Uh, your, your people are supposed to be seeking God. You're hanging out with people far from God. How does that work? And so Jesus hears or overhears. The Holy Spirit tells him. We don't know, but he figures out what's going on. And so look what he says. He uses a different analogy. He says in verse 31, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Okay, so Jesus says, listen, when you go to med school, you don't go through all the training, so you can hang out with healthy people. When you go to med school, you learn all about disease, so you can go and help sick people, right? He says, I'm like a doctor, I'm looking for sick people. And, and that's, why I, that's where I go. That's where I hang out with. And so, so then he goes on and he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, you know, people like you, spiritual police who think you have it all together, but sinners to repentance. Again, you don't follow Jesus without repentance, right? Jesus is Lord. You, you follow Jesus by definition, you repent, Okay, and so, so catch this, Jesus is not hanging out with people far from God and saying, hey, it's fine what you're doing, no problem, God doesn't care. No, he's just saying, I love you people, and I want to help you get well. And so if you want to get well, you're going to have to follow doctor's orders. Doctor's orders, you leave the old past behind, okay? And so, and so, so in these two stories, uh, first of all, Matthew and Luke 15, Jesus lays out how God feels about lost people. And then second story, uh, how he models, how he pursues lost people, okay? So from this, there's a couple principles in that flow into our lives. And they're in your note sheet, a section called Loving the Lost, two important principles. Uh, first one is the most obvious. Let's, let's just start there. God loves lost people. Uh, th- this is what uh, the, the, peop- the, the spiritual leaders of his day didn't really understand. They assumed if people rebel against God, God hates them. And if God hates them and you want to be close to God, you should hate them too. And so their, their assumption was wrong. He says, no, no, no. Jesus, this is how God feels about lost people. 
God feels about lost people the way a shepherd feels about a lost sheep. He feels about lost people the way a woman who's lost 10% of her, her life savings feels about finding that savings. He feels about a father who's lost his son, who comes from dead to life. He's been out in Hollywood, spending all his money, all his inheritance, blowing it on, on uh, cocaine and hookers, and now he comes home to Iowa, and he's running to me. That's how God feels about lost people. And, and then Jesus models that, for, you know, for, for that even more. And so here's what I want you to catch. Here's what you catch, is, is that if we are a church that's going to follow Jesus, then we have to love lost people. Do you see this? That, that here at Rocky Peak, we've got a vision. Vision is to unleash a movement of what? Good, passionate Christ follower. What does a passionate Christ follower look like? Four things. Looks like someone who's pursuing God, top priority, loving people as God has loved us, serving sacrificially with our time, our gifts, and resources to expand his kingdom, and the last piece, sharing Christ. Why? Because you cannot be a passionate Christ uh, follower if we're not passionate about reaching lost people, because that's who he is. You understand? And so Jesus defines for us as a church, as a person, and so what, what this means, if we are not passionate about reaching lost people, then there's something at the core that's gone wrong with us, and we need his healing, right? We need the doctor to come and do some healing in our life. Okay, number two, the, the, second, the second principle that jumps out is that God not only loves uh, lost people, but Jesus pursues lost people. Okay, so, so it's not just that... Um, it's not just that, that God, like if you come to God and you say, I'm a lost person and I, I'd like back in, it's not just that God says you're welcome, okay? It's not, it's not just that God accepts lost people or is willing to forgive lost people. It's that, it's that Jesus is actively pursuing lost people. And that's the point of these stories, these passages today. The shepherd is actively pursuing the lost person, okay, the sheep. The woman who loses the coin, part of her dowry perhaps, the woman who loses the coin, she is turning on every light in the house, she's sweeping every corner, she's searching frantically for the lost coin. The father is broken hearted over his lost son and when he sees him, he doesn't wait for the son to come home to tell him he's accepted, he runs to his boy to let him know he's accepted and loved. When Jesus goes to see Zacchaeus a few weeks ago in Jericho, he doesn't just open and say, I'm happy to meet with you. He says, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. We have an appointment today. You are my assignment. I'm coming to your house. He's searching after Zacchaeus. And when he goes to Matthew's tax collector's booth, he's not just throwing out a, a general invitation. He's going after Matthew. And when Matthew throws a party at his house for all his rowdy friends, Jesus says, I'm in. Count me in. I will be there. You know, put it, I just put it in my daytime. I'm going to be there. And so Jesus is searching out. And so what Jesus is modeling for us is God not only loves lost people, Jesus is searching out lost people. And so again, for us, it's not enough for us just to love lost people. The question is, in our life, are we pursuing actively lost people? And that leads to two questions in. Next section there on your note sheet. Well, wait, before we do that, one, one thing I want to note is that Jesus did this so much, Jesus pursued people so much, he got a reputation for it. In fact, uh, one of the, the spiritual leaders of his day, they didn't like John the Baptist because he was too conservative. 
Uh, he didn't eat, didn't drink. He was just very ascetic lifestyle. They didn't like Jesus because he was too liberal. Went to all the parties, ate a lot of good food, loved it, uh, drank a lot of good wine, uh, loved it, and, and, and he would hang out with people far from God. And he did it so much that this became their, their, their little soundbite, their little soundbite to critique Jesus. He's a, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, and, and catch this, like in order to accuse someone of being a drunkard, he's gotta be drinking some significant wine, right? So he says he's a drunkard, and he says, and he's a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. In fact, this is what he says, Jesus himself said, he says, the son of man came eating and drinking, Luke 7, and you say, the critics, here is a, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he was so much pursuing his uh, people far from God, it just became his reputation. This became the soundbite. Like we're in the presidential debates right now. You know how the, both sides snipe at each other. You find something to snipe at, some kind of cool soundbite, and you throw it at the other side. This is what they're doing. This is their soundbite. He's a drunkard. He is a, uh, 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 he, he's, he's a drunkard. He, he's, a, uh, he's a glutton. Uh, he doesn't have a birth certificate in the United States. No, just kidding. Uh, and... and uh, I'm not taking side, I'm just saying this is how it works, right? Okay, he's a drunkard, he is a, uh, he, he's, he's, he's a drunkard, he is a, uh, he's a glutton, and he's, he's a friend of sinners. Now, now, catch this, Jesus took that as a badge of honor. Jesus wore that badge. He says, you're absolutely right. I am a friend of sinners. Okay, and so, so the question, there's a couple questions there that we need to ask then how this plays out in our life. And I gotta warn you, these questions may hurt. These questions are a little bit like going to the doctor when he says, now this may hurt a little, but he really means it's gonna hurt like you know what. Right? <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, I, I gotta warn you, as I ask these questions, chances are you're gonna feel uncomfortable. Uh, as I ask these questions, chances are uh, you're gonna feel like, crud. Right? Ch- chances are you're going to feel some conviction in your life, and, and, and if it helps any, uh, so do I. Okay? Like, like, as I ask these, like, I, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm busy answering these questions in my own life, and I've got some room to grow in this. So, so if you feel uncomfortable, I'm right there with you. But they are great questions. They are awesome questions, and they are questions that I think flow completely out of the teaching that we've seen today. So here's number one. The first question is, are you pursuing the lost? Now, I'm not asking, are you loving the lost? Right? So you may be sitting here and you may be saying, you know what? I love lost people. I'm not judgmental. I'm not like those spiritual leaders. I don't care where people come from. I only care where they're going. When people will come lost to me, I'm there to love them, accept them. I'll invite them to church. I love lost people. Okay, that's, that's great. That's great. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you pursuing in an intentional way friendships with lost people? It's a very different question. If Jesus were running for president and his campaign slogan was friend of sinners, could you wear his button? Would those who know you best say, that's really true. That's really true. I'm not asking you do you have acquaintance with sinners? Because if you live in this world, the answer is yes. We, we go to work, we live in neighborhoods, our kids play on soccer teams. You're a student, college, 
If you're just in this world, you're around people who are far from God. You have acquaintances, you're friendly, you know their name, they know your name. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, are you a friend of people far from God? I'm asking, do you have any significant friendships in your life with people who don't know Christ? You know their story, they know your story, you hang out, you spend time, right? Maybe, maybe it's your neighbor across the street, maybe it's your colleagues at the office, maybe it's some, some, uh, some of the moms in the neighborhood you go to the park with, watch your kids play on a regular basis, maybe some students in the classroom. But do you have people in your life that you are actively pursuing for the sake of the gospel? You know, I, I think the chances are that if we're honest, that for many of us in, in this uh, room, and myself included, the answer would be no. And the reason is, within a couple years of coming to Christ, you see, the, the most productive years for most people in terms of sharing the message of Christ is the first two years after you become a Christian. And the reason is, when you first become a Christian, you're usually surrounded by people who aren't Christians. They see the change in your life. It's natural to talk about Jesus. Um, and so within a couple of years, either they've come to Christ or they've said, I don't want anything to do with you. Right? So, and so what that means is that after a couple of years, if you want to have a relationship with non-believers, you have to be intentional about it. Like it has to be a, a priority. And, and so... Uh, if, if we're going to make this happen, there's got to be some, some thought. There's got to be some intentionality. Because here's what happens. A couple years after you've come to Christ, or if you've grown up in a Christian home, it works the same way. What tends to happen is you've found a good church by this time. You've made some amazing new friends who are just great people who love Jesus, whose life are being transformed. You probably joined a life group. You've gotten involved there. You found a place in ministry you're serving. On top of that, you have uh, every weekend, you're at church. Uh, on top of that, you've got uh, a life. You've got a, you got, you still have a job. You still have a family to take care of. You still have, uh, uh, you know, soccer practice with kids on Saturday morning. Um, that, that you still have a life, right? And so, so life gets busy. And so it's easy to wake up one day and suddenly find ourselves completely isolated from any significant relationships with non-believers. There's a little equation that I put there on, your, your, um, on your, your note sheet. It's very simple, but it's powerful. And it goes like this. No contact equals no impact. No contact equals no impact. Like, if, unless Jesus is going and having dinner with people far from God, he's not going to impact people far from God. It's just not going to happen. It's... It's, it's that, that we can't let our light shine when our light's not out there, right? Um, and, and catch this, sometimes it's even worse than that. Sometimes it's not, it's not just we're not pursuing people far from God, but sometimes we can become so dysfunctional that we don't even like people far from God. We don't want to be, it's like they're just, they're just messy, right? They're just messy. I, I'm tired of their language, tired of his jokes, tired of, tired of his womanizing. I'm, I'm tired of just, I'm tired of the lies, right? But what other thing is? And so if we're not careful, we can become like the spiritual leaders. You know, they didn't start like this. 
These spiritually didn't start. You know that the Pharisees were? They were a Pharisees were a group of men who took the Bible very seriously in an age when many didn't. And they really wanted to pursue God and live by his word. That's how they started. But it's not where they ended up. And you know, if, it's, if we're not careful, our very commitment to the word of God can lead us away from people far from God. And so what happened to them is that they, they just became hardened over the years. And, and so it came to the place, not only did they not pursue people far from God, they didn't even like people far from God. They didn't want God to like people far from God. Um, one of our essential courses that we teach here at Rocky Peak is called Sharing Christ, Increasing Your Influence. It's all about building relationship, sharing Christ, the way God's wired you to help people come to know him. In that course, we use a book by Bill Hybels uh, as one of our texts that's called uh, Just Walk Across the Room. It's a great book. We've got it in a bookstore. If you're, you're looking to grow in this area, highly recommend it. Um, but he talks about this. There in your note sheet, there's a quote. And he says, the longer a person attends church, the fewer evangelistic discussions they engage in with family members and friends. The fewer presentations of the life-changing plan of salvation are given, fewer invitations to events that attractively present the message of Christ are offered, mostly because Christ followers have fewer friends outside the faith to whom to offer them. The longer you walk Christ, the less people you have. So instead of walking towards people who need God's redemptive love, They step into a mode of no longer wanting anything to do with them. Self-proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ develop an aversion to non-believers, going to all lengths to avoid the exact people that Christ came to redeem. Again, no one in his right mind would own up to this out loud. But I watch it go below the surface in a person's mind and heart all the time. A Christ follower says, I'm sick and tired of the filthy mouth of this guy at work. I can't stand his language. I hate his jokes and how he lives. Or, you wouldn't believe the morals of my neighbor, the parting she does. And my boss, you should see his voting patterns. If I could vote him out of here, I would. Okay? Now, now can, can you relate to that? I'm asking for a show of hands. But have you ever found yourself there? Right? Now, if it feels bad already, it gets worse. Because <laughs> you've already flipped the page. Good job. Well trained. It goes on. I split up this quote because I didn't think you could take it in one dose. (laughs) The aversion can become so intense that a Christ follower has to plumb new depths of dysfunction to deal with it. Here's what I'll think I'll do, she says. I'll set my alarm so that in the morning I'll get up to my Christian music. I'll email my Christian girlfriends all through the course of my workday so I can stay pumped up with Christian thoughts. At break time, coffee time, lunch time, I'm going to sit by myself and read my Bible. Then I'll fill up my evenings with family and church activities, and if I watch any television at all, it's only Christian shows for me. I'll go to bed, wake up tomorrow, and start over with step one. My life will stay exactly how I want it to be, simple and safe, spotless and uncluttered, protected and predictable, just the way I like it. And then Bill says, and if I'm forced to nail it down, I see only one problem with this cocooning pattern. It is the polar opposite of the way of Christ. Simple and safe was not exactly the theme Christ was championing when he warned his followers that being sent out uh, as lambs among the wolves was part of the deal. Spotless and uncluttered had no place in a task of embracing a dying, broken, weary world 
with radical forgiveness and actionable love. Is that good? Is that good? And so it's true, isn't it? It's true that the longer we walk with Christ, sometimes the the less impact we, we have. And so here's my question. Are you pursuing intentionally relationships with non-believers. Maybe it's inviting that couple across the street that you've always said, we need to get together for a barbecue. There's a natural chemistry there. You can, you, you like, you can tell, right? But just life has been too busy. Uh, maybe it's that, that mom at the PTA that, that you, you have a natural connection with. You've always said we should go out for coffee sometime, but it just never has happened. And maybe the guys at work, they're always inviting you to the Dodger game or the Laker game, and, and you hate the Dodgers, and so you don't go. And like, this is like, it's just that you're, you're a San Francisco fan or whatever, Niels. Uh, and uh, uh, congratulations, by the way. Uh, yeah, we just spent a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, and, anyway, but they're, they're inviting you, but you're like, never. Or it's like uh, the, the guys are inviting you after, out to work for a drink afterwards. And there's nothing crazy going on. They're just going out for a drink, but you're like, oh, I could never do that. I, I could never be in a bar. I could never hang out with those kinds of people. Really? It's exactly what Jesus did, hang out with those kinds of people, right? I'm not talking about wild and crazy. I'm not talking about going to the strip club or something, right? But, but I'm saying, do you see what, what happens? Sometimes we just like we want to shield ourselves from anything that's evil, and the end result of that is we have no impact, you see? And, and so, so maybe, there's a, there, maybe there's that family that your kids play soccer with, you always have a connection. It'd be easy to invite them over or to go on a, a, a weekend camping trip with or, or to invite them to a life group function with, with some other believers. Or, but, but see, the question is, are we actively pursuing relationships with people far from God? Okay, n- number two. <laughs> the second question, uh, they don't really get any easier, by the way. Uh, the second question is very simple is are you praying for the lost? <laughs> you know, now honestly, like if I were to ask you, when was the last time that you prayed for someone to come to Christ who doesn't know him? Uh, like what would you say? Uh, is that a regular part of your life? Or is your prayer life primarily about your family, your job, your situation, your growth, your church, whatever? But are there people in your life that you're praying for on a regular basis to come to Christ? I think this, this whole issue of prayer is how the journey starts for us. I, I share with you the very first week of this series that, that a year ago, this was kind of a prayer that God began to birth in my heart. God gave me a passion for lost people. That very first week, I asked you to join me in this journey. And I, I think it's very much where it starts for us. Let's say you're sitting here today, and as we read this description, you say, man, that is exactly right on. That's where I'm at. I, I'm, a pers- I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But I, I really am isolated. I, it's just over time, I've come, I, I don't really have any friendships, significant connections with non-believers, and, and that's me. And so, and, and, and you may even say the next level, and you know, to be honest, Mike, it doesn't really even bother me. I kind of like my life. I like it. It's very safe. It's very predictable. I've got my Christian friends, and, and life is going well. And honestly, I'm not even that interested in this. Like, so where do I start? I think the place to start is just to go and to be honest before God, and just to say, God, would you touch my heart? Like, we, we, we couldn't get much clearer today when you look at the life of Jesus. This is what he's about. And so, so it's, it's a very simple process then to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I see where your heart is. It's not where my heart is. I'm, I want my heart to be where your heart is. Will you change my heart? And I think that's where the journey begins. It just, we begin to pray as a church on a regular basis. God, will you give us a heart for lost people? And I would encourage you, number one, to start there. But number two, 
I want to ask you specifically uh, to begin thinking about asking this question. Are there people in your life right now that are within your sphere of influence? Okay, maybe it's your job, your neighborhood, your kids' soccer, uh, the moms you, you hang out with, a PTA, uh, colleagues, office, whatever it is. Uh, are there people in your, is there someone in your sphere of influence right now that God is already working on? Okay, remember what Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And so when someone comes to Christ, we're going to talk about this next week, it's usually the end of a long process, right? And so, so is there someone that in your sphere that you don't even know, but God's already working on? Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a, a friend. There's someone in your life that God is already working on. And, and to ask this question, God, is there someone in my life you're already working on that you want me to partner with you for the sake of the kingdom? And that you want me to begin to pray for specifically by name that they would come to know you and, and that you want me to begin building a relationship and loving them well for the sake of the kingdom. Is there, is there a person like that? I remember when uh, J.D. first came to uh, Rocky Peak. It may have been even before because we, we kind of talked for about a year before that happened. But, um, but I remember early on in our, our friendship that he shared a story with me that just really moved me. And I just kind of put it at the back of my, my mind. And it's kind of coming up now uh, in, in this season but, but he was part of a, a very large, kind of major, nationally known church uh, about 10 years ago on staff there. And, and somehow this concept got unleashed in their church. I'm not even sure really how it started, but, but, they, but this concept kind of got unleashed. It was called the One Life concept. And it was very simple. They just began to challenge their church and said, what if, as our church, what if every one of us had at least one person in our life that we're just actively praying for and building relationship with for the sake of the gospel. Like, what, what if we all had that? Right? What if we all just began to go before God and say, is there just one person in my life? That could be more than one. You could have five one lives. But, but, but at least one person, what if everyone, and they just kind of challenged their church. And guess what? Over time, it just became part of their church culture. And so you'd be sitting in a life group and it's time for prayer requests. And someone would say, Hey, would you pray for me? We're having my, our one life's over for a barbecue this Friday night. Someone else would say, hey, would, you, would you pray for me? I'm going to, to the, uh, the, the game this weekend with my one life. Everyone knew what they're talking about. Everyone knew exactly what you're talking about, right? And, and so it just became something that became a prayer focus. It became something that just became kind of part of the culture of their of the church. And so what I'm asking you is in your life, I, I'm asking you if you would join me in this journey. I'm gonna ask that for the next two weeks, I'm going to ask you to start praying with me a couple things. The first one, you may be already praying. The first thing is, God, would you give me a heart for lost people that I would feel about them the way you do? We, we, that's the first thing. I just want just to begin praying. But here's the second one. that You may have already been praying that because I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Here's the second one. For the next two weeks, I would like you to be praying every day. God, is there one person in my life right now that you're already working on? that you want me to be in partnering with you for the sake of the kingdom, to begin praying, is like, who is my one life? And, and so I, I don't know what God's gonna say to you. He may show you in the next two weeks, may take longer, but may, maybe there's a sphere of influence, maybe someone's gonna bring in your sphere of influence, but is there one person? And here's what's gonna happen. Two weeks from, from now, in our life groups, we're gonna share our one lives with one another. 
Now, we're going to be very honest. If you feel like you don't have one yet, or this, I'm not sure if that, that's fine. But I tell you something, two weeks from now, part of our time together, we're just going to share who's our one, and we're going to pray for each other's one life. Can I tell you something? We, we had an elders retreat about a month, a month ago, and, and we did this. It was just powerful. We just went around the room. I asked the guys to be thinking about this, and then, and then we just said, hey, who do you think your one life might be? You don't have to commit to it, but just like right now, who do you think that might be? And the guys began telling stories. Well, well my neighbor, you know, when he, first, when he first moved in, like I helped him with some projects. He's always just felt the connection there, but I've never really invested the time in him, and he's always out there washing the car, and I just never take time to slow down and and talk to him, and I think he may be my, my one life, and so we asked for that man's name, and then as elders, we just stood around, and we prayed for this elder. We prayed for the, his one life by name, that you come to Christ, right? and then we went to the next man, and we went around the room. We spent an hour or two just praying for one lives. Can I tell you something? It was one of those powerful things we've ever done as an elder board, and so in a couple weeks, we're going to have a chance to go before God as a church in our, in our life groups, if you're not in a life group, you can do this on your own or grab some friends or do it some other way. And, and we're going to have a chance to say, just here, I don't know for sure, but this is, I think, who might be my own life. And we're going to begin praying for each other. And I would hope this would become part of our culture that in the future. We would be praying in our life groups for lost people. That we wouldn't just always be praying for our stuff and our illness and our kids. It's all good. Don't get me wrong. But wouldn't it be awesome to be part of a church it's praying for lost people on a regular, by name, we're praying. And then, and then you watch them come to church. And then you watch them come to Christ. And then you watch them join your life group. And then you ask them, who is your one life? Right? And they begin, like Matthew, going out and getting their one lives. And we watch God do something amazing. Men and women, we are only at the beginning. We are only at the beginning but it starts here, and it starts now. And I'm asking you to join me in being in praying for God, that God would touch our hearts, and we would join Jesus in his movement to reach par- people far from God. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, uh, we're going to be moving into a time of, of prayer and reflection right now. And, and I just want to give you a chance to pray over these two requests that I've asked you to pray on these next couple of weeks. Begin to pray that God would touch your heart, even if you don't even care right now. Just admit it. But just say, God, I don't care, but help me to care. Uh, and, and then specifically, I want you to pray that God would begin to show you who your one life is. And so I'm going to ask the band to come, and they're going to begin to sing. And they're just going to sing over us for a while. They'll invite us in later on. But I just want you to pray and be in God's presence. And then, and then later on, uh, as we continue on in worship, we'll take the offering later on. But for now, just be in God's presence. Listen for his Holy Spirit. Speak to him about your heart. Pray for your one life as the band sings over. May your kingdom come as your people pray. Lord, we long for more. We long for more. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so that's what we're, we're about. We're about sharing that, that message. And I've got several things to share with you as we kind of wrap up today. Uh, uh, number one, uh, next week, uh, we're going to continue this journey 
Uh, we're going to continue talking about this process of, of, of building relationship. Uh, and then when we do, what happens is that people begin to ask questions. And as we share our lives, people begin to ask questions. It gives us opportunity just to, to answer the questions. We don't have to kind of dump load the whole thing. Just to answer the questions. Uh, and, and at some point, just invite them to come and see. Uh, I, I believe that in our culture today, one of the most effective ways of sharing Christ is just bringing people to the body of Christ and experiencing Christ with us. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, next week, uh, but about halfway through the message, we're going to begin to move into phase two of this series. This series has got three phases, and so we've been in phase one. We're going to go through the first half of next week, and the, the, the middle of next week's message, we're moving into phase two. And in phase two of this series, we're going to begin to talk about part two of our assignment uh, of kind of uh, refreshing and enlarging our campus for the people God's already bringing, the people he's going to bring. So I've been mentioning that every week, but next week I'm actually going to lay out the vision that we believe God's given us as a leadership team for our campus. We're going to share what that's going to look like, what it's going to touch, the buildings it's going to affect, uh, how it's going to work, uh, uh, how much it's going to cost, all the, all the process, the plan for that. So it's an extremely important week for you to be here because we're moving rapidly. We won't be touching ground on this, that information again. And so you'll definitely want to be here, or if you can't be here, uh, be sure to, uh, to download the message. Uh, you know, there, if you go to our website, you can download both the audio and the video. And if you're an I, iTunes person now, you can actually subscribe on iTunes, both to our audio uh, podcast and our video podcast, so it comes to you automatically every week if, you, if you're one of those people who want to do that. And so uh, be sure to stay up with us. Uh, next thing. During the next few weeks of this assignment, every week is going to be building. Every week, exciting things are happening. And want to make sure you're uh, in tune with that. Not this week, but next week, we're doing our 24 hours of prayer, and we're doing an encounter. And so, so we won't be meeting in our life groups, because we want to all come as life groups. We want to pack this place out. And, and during that 24 hours of prayer, we're doing a little bit differently. It's going to be very directed. Uh, every hour on the hour, starting at 7 o'clock on that Tuesday night, uh, we're going to be gathering in the student center to have some time of directed group and small group prayer. There'll be a chance for you to go off individually if that's what you prefer, but we'll have some directed time of small group prayer. Uh, we're going to be praying specifically for this assignment, praying specifically for a, a new heart for the lost, specifically God would teach us how to reach lost people, and spe for specific direction on our campus and this whole process we're heading into. And so every hour on the hour, uh, a new session will start, and then on the alternating hours, instead of praying in the student center, we're actually going to do a, a very mini prayer walk around our campus, talking about what God's going to be doing in each campus, in each building, praying for the people God's going to bring in that building, praying for the ministries that are happening in that building, and we're going to pray, uh, do a prayer walk of our campus, uh, and so, uh, so it's going to be an exciting time. So be sure for that, and then on the encounter on the Wednesday night, uh, we'll be spending a time of extended prayer and worship as we go for God for the same things we're, we're praying for. So it's a very powerful time. You don't want to miss it, so make sure you get that schedule. we got baptisms coming up in a few weeks. That's part of the assignment. If we're going to reach lost people, first step, you baptize them, right? And so if you haven't been baptized, you're a follower of Jesus, uh, get your name in to us. We'll get you on uh, the list for people being baptized uh, in a few weeks. Uh, the last thing, I want to give you just a quick update and ask for your prayer, a personal prayer request for me personally. Uh, most of you know that for about five and a half years, I've been struggling with a major voice issue in my life. And uh, we've been praying. One of the things that I've been praying the last couple of months is, God, I just need someone who will own my problem. I need a smart person in the medical field who cares. Uh, I've got all the specialists. I've got all the top specialists in the world. I don't have anyone who cares. Would you give me someone who cares? 
And through an amazing uh, chain of events, uh, after the elders prayed for me at that retreat, that next week, a connection came that, oddly enough, comes through Rocky Peak. That's a person, there's a, a man who some of you will know was a worship pastor here about 30 years ago, who is now a top voice specialist at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. And, he's, and, and so he heard about my situation, he contacted me, and uh, he has just been unbelievable. I said, can you come back to Nashville? I'll, I'll clear my calendar, uh, and I just really have a heart for this. And so um, immediately today, after the second service, I'm flying to Nashville for two days. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, it'd be a very fast trip. I told them, we're in the midst of this thing, assignment, and I, I can't really miss a weekend right now. He said, you tell me when you want to come, I'll make it happen. And so, uh, so we've got uh, uh, several hours of appointments tomorrow morning. Uh, and then some appointments on, uh, on Tuesday morning. And so we're just going to see. We're going to see what God does. And, and you know, this, obviously this next step of the journey. And so if you could pray for me a couple things. Number one, uh, the 405 is closed down today. Uh, I didn't know that when I made my reservations. Uh, so when I leave after the service, I'll be jetting out of here. I fly at 316 in honor of John 316. And, uh, and so... Uh, and so I fly at 316, so if you pray that I make that, and then, but be praying for the next couple days. It's a very fast trip. I actually fly back Tuesday night, uh, and so I'll be back plenty of time for next weekend. Didn't want to miss, and, and so he said, you tell me when you want to come, clear his calendar. And so it's just a really, it's already an answer to prayer, but uh, I know you love me. You guys have been so faithful. You're always telling me how much you prayed for five and a half years. Sometimes we don't understand why God delays answers. Like, we don't understand that. But one thing, what he says in his word, is we're to be like that widow that just keeps going to the judge and keeps bugging him until he, he does it. Not that God's like the judge, but that's the, the, the analogy Jesus used. And so I just appreciate the next couple of days, your prayer over that whole process, okay? And so uh, as we go, uh, here's my prayer for you. May, may God uh, bless you with the heart of Jesus. May he give you the passion of his own son, who was the first shepherd who left heaven itself to come in search of us, his lost sheep. And he has said that, that we not only are his sheep, but he said, I have many sheep and many different folds that I'm going to bring. And so may he give you the heart of the shepherd, that you would join him in his mission to seek and save the lost. May he teach you how to build honest, authentic relationships, nothing weird, with people far from God. So when the time comes, you can answer questions, share a little of your story, share a little of God's story, invite them to come to see, and watch God work in an amazing way. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. 